Section twenty two of the Underground Railroad, Part three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Underground Railroad, Part three by William Still. Section twenty two benjamin ross and his wife harriet fled from caroline county eastern shore of maryland june eighteen fifty seven this party stated that dr anthony thompson had claimed them as his property they gave the committee a pretty full report of how they had been treated in slavery especially under the doctor a few of the interesting points were noted as follows the doctor owned about twenty head of slaves when they left Formerly he had owned a much larger number, but circumstances had led him to make frequent sales during the few years previous to their escape, by which the stock had been reduced. As well as having been largely interested in slaves, he had at the same time been largely interested in real estate, to the extent of a dozen farms at least, but in consequence of having reached out too far, several of his farms had slipped out of his hands. Upon the whole Benjamin pronounced him a rough man towards his slaves and declared that he had not given him a dollar since the death of his the master's father which had been at least twenty years prior to benjamin's escape but ben did not stop here he went on to speak of the religious character of his master and also to describe him physically he was a methodist preacher and had been pretending to preach for twenty years then the fact that a portion of their children had been sold to georgia by this master was referred to him with much feeling by ben and his wife likewise the fact that he had stinted them for food and clothing and led them a rough life generally which left them no room to believe that he was anything else than a wolf in sheep's clothing they described him as a spare-built man bald head wearing a wig these two travellers had nearly reached their threescore years and ten under the yoke nevertheless they seemed delighted at the idea of going to a free country to enjoy freedom if only for a short time Moreover, some of their children had escaped in days past, and these they hoped to find. Not many of those thus advanced in years ever succeeded in getting to Canada. Arrival from Virginia, 1857. William Jackson. William was about fifty years of age, of usual size, of good address, and intelligent. He was born the property of a slaveholder by the name of Daniel Minn, residing in Alexandria in Virginia. His master was about eighty-four years of age, and was regarded as kind, though he had sold some of his slaves, and was in favor of slavery. He had two sons, Robert and Albert, both dissipated, would lay about the tippling taverns, and keep low company, so much so that they were not calculated to do any business for their father. William had to be a kind of a right-hand man to his master, the son seeing that the property was trusted instead of themselves, very naturally hated it so the young men resolved that at the death of their father william should be sent as far south as possible knowing that the old man could not stand it much longer william saw that it was his policy to get away as fast as he could he was the husband of a free wife who had come on in advance of him for thirty years william had been foreman on his old master's plantation and but for the apprehension caused by the ill-will of his prospective young masters he would doubtless have remained in servitude at least until the death of the old man but when william reflected and saw what he had been deprived of all his life by being held in bondage and when he began to breathe free air 
with the prospect of ending his days on free land, he rejoiced that his eyes had been opened to see his danger, and that he had been moved to make a start for liberty. Arrival from Delaware, 1857. John Wright and wife, Elizabeth Ann and Charles Connor. This party arrived from Sussex County. John was about thirty years of age, ordinary size, full black and clear-headed. In physical appearance he would have readily passed for a superior laborer. The keenness of his eyes and quickness of his perception, however, would doubtless have rendered him an object of suspicion in some parts of the South. The truth was that the love of liberty was clearly indicated in his expressive countenance. William S. Phillips, a farmer, had been sucking John's blood and keeping him poor and ignorant for the last eight years at least. Before that, Phillips' father had defrauded him of his hire. Under the father and son, John had found plenty of hard work and bad usage, severe and repeated floggings not accepted. Old master and mistress and young master and mistress, including the entire family, belonged to what was known as the Farmer Church at Portsville. Outwardly they were good Christians. Occasionally, John said, the old man would have family prayers, and to use John's own words, in company he would try to moralize, but out of company was as great a rowdy as ever was. In further describing his old master, he said that he was a large man, with a red face and blunt nose, and was very quick and fiery in his temper, would drink and swear, and even his wife, with all hands, would have to run when he was raised. Of his young master, he said, he was quite a long-bodied, thin-faced man, weighing over one hundred and fifty pounds, in temper just like his father, though he did not drink. That is all the good quality that I can recommend in him. John said also that his master, on one occasion, in a most terribly angry mood, threatened that he would wade up to his knees in his, John's, blood. It so happened that John's blood was up pretty high just at that time. He gave his master to understand that he would rather go south, be sold, than submit to the scourging which was imminent. John's pluck probably had the effect of allaying the master's fire. At any rate, the storm subsided after a while, and until the day that he took the Underground Railroad car, the servant managed to put up with his master. As John's wife was on the eve of being sold, he was prompted to leave some time sooner than he otherwise would have done. The Wife's Statement She was thirty-two years of age, of good physical proportions, and a promising-looking person above the ordinary class of slaves belonging to Delaware. She was owned by Jane Cooper, who lived near Laurel in Sussex County. She had been more accustomed to field labor than housework, plowing, fencing, driving team, grubbing, cutting wood, etc., were well understood by her. During feeding times she had to assist in the house. In this respect she had harder times than the men. Her mistress was also in the habit of hiring Elizabeth out by the day to wash, on these occasions she was required to rise early enough to milk the cows, get breakfast and feed the hogs before sunrise, so that she might be at her day's washing in good time. It is plainly to be seen that Elizabeth had not met with the ease and kindness which many claimed for the slave. Elizabeth was sensible of the wrongs inflicted by her Delaware mistress, and painted her in very vivid colors. Her mistress was a widow, quite old, but very frisky, and wore a wig to hide her gray hairs. At the death of her husband, the slaves believed, from what they had heard their master say, that they would be freed, each at the age of thirty. But no will was found, which caused Elizabeth, as well as the rest of the slaves, to distrust the mistress more than ever, as they suspected that she knew something of its disappearance. Her mistress belonged to the Presbyterian Church, but would have family prayers only when the minister would stop. Elizabeth thought that she took greater pains to please the minister than her maker. 
elizabeth had no faith in such religion both elizabeth and her husband were members of the methodist church neither had ever been permitted to learn to read or write but they were naturally very smart john left his mother and one sister in bondage one of his brothers fled to canada fifteen years before their escape his name was abraham charles connor the third person in the party was twenty-seven years of age fast color and a tough-looking article who would have brought twelve hundred dollars or more in the hands of a baltimore trader the man from whom charles fled was known by the name of john chipman and was described as a fleshy man with rank beard and quick temper very hard commonly kept full of liquor though he would not get so drunk that he could not go about for a long time charles had been the main dependence on his master's place as he only owned two other slaves charles particularly remarked that no weather was too bad for them to be kept at work in the field charles was a fair specimen of the cornfield hand but thought that he could take care of himself in canada End of section twenty two. Recording by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida.